Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. God's word written to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I receive it as truth for my life today and open my heart to hear God speak a word, reveal Jesus to me, fill me with the Holy Spirit, then send me out to share Christ with others. In Jesus' name, amen. I messed up that last part, didn't I? I better practice that a little bit more. Nehemiah chapter 9, you can take your place there and then hold it and then give me your ear, okay? I want to read to you as we get started an excerpt from a book entitled The Power of Right Believing by Pastor Joseph Prince. Listen to me. What you believe is powerful. If you can change what you believe, you can change your life. I've met many precious people who keep struggling to control their behaviors and their actions. No matter how hard they try and how much effort, time, and resources they throw into the fight, like a beaten boxer, they end up returning to their corners, their bodies defeated, morale crushed, and confidence shattered. Trapped once again in guilt, fear, and addictions that simply refuse to go away. Then the bell rings for the next round. The fight continues And they unleash everything they have against their adversary. Left, right, left, right. It seems like they're making progress, but then their opponent starts landing poisonous, condemning judgments. Who do you think you are? Have you forgotten all those sins you've committed? Things will never get better. You just have to accept the way things are. It's never going to work. You're just going to have to fail again. Nobody loves you. You're all alone. I've seen these deceptive tactics used too many times by the adversary. I've seen too many people try to move out from under the shadow of their past or break free from their addictions, only to end up succumbing to these lies about themselves, their identity, and their destiny. That's the power of wrong believing. Wrong believing puts people in a prison. Even though there are no physical bars, wrong believing causes its inmates to behave as though they were incarcerated in a maximum security penitentiary. They march to their dark cells of sin and addictions. They allow themselves to be led into dungeons of destructive behaviors. They've convinced themselves never to dream of a better place, believing that they have no choice but to live in despair, frustration, sin, and defeat. Right believing, on the other hand, is a light that illuminates the path to freedom out of prison. Can somebody say amen? The title of today's message, if you're taking notes, is simply this, Living 
a consecrated life. Come on, say it with me. Living a consecrated life. And the subtitle that I feel led to give it is this. Fully dedicated to God. Come on, say it with me. Fully dedicated to God. We've been talking about spiritual reform. Started last week. And spiritual reform and renewal. And we've been looking at the story of Nehemiah. And God wasn't only concerned about the walls and the temple and the buildings of Jerusalem when he was using Nehemiah. What he was really concerned about was his people. He was concerned about his relationship with his people and reestablishing worship. And when we're talking about reform and renewal, we're talking about realigning our lives with the Holy Spirit and God's Word so that we can experience a new or a fresh, if I can use that terminology, work of God in our lives. Drawing us closer to God. Come on, does anybody have any room to draw closer to God? And it will first impact you, and then that spiritual reform and renewal has the ability to impact people around you. Your kids, your spouse, your family, your co-workers, and so on. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter 9. And I want to read just three verses today. I want to encourage you when you go home, read the whole chapter. I don't have time to go through the whole chapter, but you'll get a gist of what we're talking about from the first three verses. Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. This is what it says. On October 31st, the people assembled again, God's people. And this time they fasted and they dressed in burlap and sprinkled dust on their heads. So they were refraining from food for the purpose of feeding on God and seeking God. They dressed in burlap. That was a way of humbling themselves before the Lord and putting dust on their head. Again, another way of humbling themselves before the Lord. Verse 2. Those of Israelite descent, or the Jewish people, separated themselves from all foreigners as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. They remained standing in place for three hours while the book of the law of the Lord their God was read aloud to them. Come on, anybody willing to stand for the next three hours? And then it says, then for three more hours, they confessed their sins and worshiped the Lord their God. We're on a series. Do you remember the name of it? It's called A Great Work. Laying hold of who God wants us to be and what God wants us to do. Remember, God used and stirred up Nehemiah to go to Jerusalem and to do a great work in the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. Without any walls around Jerusalem, God's people were vulnerable to the enemy. They had no protection. And like that, God is calling His people today, you and I, to a great work. He's calling us to partner with Jesus in the building of His church. Come on, somebody say amen. Jesus said, I will Build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
you got to remember this. I've said it before, but it's worth repeating. People don't just need Jesus. People need a church family who knows and walks with Jesus. People need to be established in the kingdom of God, and then they need to find a church family where they can be loved, where they can be cared for, where they can be discipled, right? Where they can be strengthened, where their spiritual walls that have been damaged over the years can be rebuilt in their lives so that they can learn how to protect themselves from the enemy. If you've missed any of those messages, you can go to our podcast and catch up. Let's keep going. Notice Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 2. We're going to stay there. Look at verse 2 with me. Those Israelites, or the Jewish people of descent, separated themselves from all foreigners as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. Somebody say separated themselves. The word separated, just in case, I like to dig deep. I like to make sure I'm clear. I want to make sure I understand. The word separated means to divide, to make a distinction, or to make a difference. We could say to withdraw from something or to be set apart. Come on, somebody say set apart. So God's people set themselves apart from the foreigners. Now, when it says foreigners, I want you to be clear. He's talking about people who weren't in a covenant relationship with God. He's talking about people who were of the world. For today, it would be people who are not following Jesus. For some reason or another, over time, God's people connected too closely with the world. They started doing life together. They were intertwined. They were affecting God's people. Their lifestyle, their worship of foreign gods, their unwillingness to follow the one true God affected and impacted God's people. And now there's this spiritual reform that's taking place and they're recognizing through the reading of the word that they've slipped. And they're recognizing in order to get this spiritual renewal and in order to get realigned with God, we've got to separate ourselves from the worldly influences. Come on, is anybody with me so far? Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 in the New Testament. Our Dunkin' Donuts Connect group landed on this verse on Saturday morning. Notice what it says. But now you, speaking to the church, must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the Scriptures say... You must be holy because I am holy. That's referring to an Old Testament scripture in Leviticus. God told them, you must be holy as my people because I am holy. Now, this word holy, it's synonymous with the word consecrate or separate. The word holy is the Greek word hagios, H-A-G-I-O-S. Come on, say it with me. Hagios. Hagios. This is what it means. It means to be sacred. It means to be pure. It means to be blameless, consecrated, separated. We could say God-likeness or God's innermost nature. 
set apart for God. Did you know that when you said yes to Jesus, he set you apart for him? He made you holy. He consecrated you. He said, you belong to me. You're for me now. This is what God's people were doing in Nehemiah. They were confessing their sins. They were fasting and humbling themselves before the Lord, saying, God, we've messed up. Help us to live consecrated lives. Help us to live lives that are holy and that are separated to you. Ezra. Chapter 10, verse 11, this is what it says. Now, therefore, make confession to the Lord God of your fathers. Do his will. Separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the pagan wives. Pagan is ungodly. So we see Ezra. He was a scribe. He was an expert in the words of the law, in the word of God. We could say the scriptures. And he's on the scene and God's using him and he's speaking for God. And he's saying, listen, we need to confess where we've missed it. We need to separate ourselves from the ungodly influences. By the way, this is a big one. Somehow or another, godly men married ungodly women. Godly women married ungodly men. And God is saying, you've got to separate yourself. You shouldn't have done that to begin with. You knew better. My word instructed you not to do that. Side note, can I just say, especially those of you who aren't here and you might be watching on Facebook later, if you're pursuing a relationship with someone who isn't saved, who isn't a believer, who isn't making any effort to follow Jesus, the Lord would say to you, separate yourself. Stop pursuing that. Oh, Pastor Robert, I'm going to influence them. Uh Uh-oh. You better be careful. Because you're not supposed to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's not just marriage. That's business. That's close-knit associations. we got to be so careful because God wants us to live consecrated lives. He wants us to live lives that are separated unto Him. Someone might say, Pastor Robert, that's pretty extreme. Listen, our relationship with God is extreme. It's important. It's the most important relationship you and I will ever have. It's eternity. Pastor Robert, how does all this apply to us? A good question. First, there is not one person here today or one person listening to my voice that doesn't have room to consecrate themselves more unto God. Can somebody say amen? Second, we're living in a culture where sin isn't recognized as sin anymore. Can I just be bold enough to say, even in some churches. So this is completely applicable to us. This is in our backyard. Pastor Robert, you don't understand. I I try It's just too hard not to sin. Well, many people believe that. A lot of people believe that it's too hard not to sin. But let me just remind you from the opening story. 
The power of right believing makes a difference. And if you believe wrong concerning consecrating your life to God, and you believe that you can't keep yourself from sinning with God's help, you're over in wrong believing. And you'll never get ahead, and you'll never be everything that God wants you to be. Let me just remind you of a couple of more scriptures. Um, First of all, I want you to know this. If we're going to live consecrated lives, come on, anybody want to live a consecrated life? Anybody want to draw closer to God? If we want to do that, we really need the help of the Holy Spirit to help us believe what God says about who we are as His people. It's important that we settle this. If you've accepted Christ, if you're saved, the Bible says... You are righteous before God. In other words, your nature is right before Him. He no longer sees you as a sinner. And in case you didn't know it, you're not. It's just a pet peeve of mine. I can be a little too exacting sometimes. But it just doesn't sit right with me when I hear believers say, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Well, I understand the sentiment. I get what you're trying to say, but that's not scripturally accurate. You used to be an old sinner, but now you're saved by grace. Can somebody say amen? That's not who you are anymore. And we got to settle that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Some of you know it by heart. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Come on, somebody say amen. Somebody say, I'm new. See, you're not who you used to be. And you got to let that settle in. What about verse 21? For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Come on. Did you know that you're right with God? When He looks at you, He doesn't see a sinner. He sees the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you're born again, you have a brand new holy nature. You are now supernaturally able to live a consecrated life to God. That that takes a revelation. Let me tell you, I, I, I was a great sinner. Not good. I was great. But over the years, the Lord is helping me. And one of the biggest breakthroughs that I've had was realizing that when I received Jesus Christ, my old, sinful, fleshly, carnal nature died. He was crucified on the cross with Jesus. And when Jesus rose from the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit, I was resurrected to new life. And so were you you got to let that sink in. you got to catch that. So let me give you three things that we can do to live consecrated to God. Number one, I must confess my sin. Now, before you start thinking too ahead of me, let me explain what I mean. Look at Ezra 10.11. So now confess your sin to the Lord the God of your ancestors, and do what He demands. 
separate yourselves from the people of the land and from these pagan women. How many of you know Romans 12 too? Some of you know it by heart. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That hasn't changed. He still wants us to be separate from the worldly influences. And in this particular verse, God's people are supposed to confess where they've erred, where they've sinned. Now, this word confession is so powerful, but before I tell you what it means, I want you to know that confession always brings you closer to God. It always aligns you with God. His word, His will, His way, His thinking, always. This is important. We don't confess to get back in relationship with God. We confess because we are in relationship with God. Come on, that's a big difference. Now that said, uh, let, me, let me just be very gracious as your pastor. If you're living a sinful lifestyle... If you're dabbling in a lifestyle and you know it's sinful, you got to know God still loves you. You're still in relationship with Him. But you also got to know that it interrupts your fellowship with God from your side. What do you mean from your side? I don't know about you, but sin has a way of causing me to back off of God. Do you remember what happened in the garden? When Adam and Eve sinned, they were still in relationship with God. God was looking for them. He was pursuing them. What were Adam and Eve doing? They were hiding. Shame, condemnation, guilt. And so if we're living in a sinful lifestyle... Don't be deceived and think that the enemy won't use that to condemn you and beat you down and cause you to back off of God. It happens all the time. I'm in touch with so many people and families, and I know where they're at. And they know where they're at, and they're full of shame and condemnation. So what do they do? They stop coming to services. They avoid me like the plague. They ghost me, brother. I'm just telling you. Oh, here comes Pastor Robert. Close the drapes. Don't open the door. Don't answer the phone. God loves them. But when you do that, if you're living a sinful lifestyle, it affects you in your pursuing God. 1 John 1.9, famous scripture. Look at it with me. If we will confess our sins... He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I don't know everything about the Bible, but let me, let me try to just clarify a couple of things here. First of all, that there is a difference of opinions on who this book is written to. There are some who believe that it's written to non-believers. And there are some who believe that it's written to believers. And I'm not trying to split hairs. I'm not 100% sure. 
But I do know that when I read it, he addresses believers in the book, in the letter. He definitely does. And then when he says, if we will confess, he's including himself in whoever he's writing to. So if he was writing to unbelievers for sure, it seems like he would be including himself as one of that bunch. But how many know John wasn't an unbeliever? He was a believer. If we confess our sins, he, God, he's faithful. He's not going to leave you hanging. He's not going to bring you into condemnation. He's not going to hold it over your head. He's faithful and he's just. He's going to do the just thing based on the finished work of the cross. Can you say amen? Come on, Jesus died for all of your sins. Past, present, and future. Come on. He did. So what does it mean to confess? I think that's a great question. The word confess is the Greek word homo legeo. Homo legeo. H-O-M-O-L-O-G-E-O. And it comes from two smaller words. It's a compound word. And it means together and to say. In other words, it means to say the same thing or to come into agreement with what you're saying. Confession. Homo legeo. To confess my sin to the Lord, listen, is to come into agreement with my words out of my heart with what God says is sin. This starts there. If I can't agree with what God says is sin, how do I know what sin is? And if I sin, I should be able to come to a loving Heavenly Father full of the confidence that all of my sins have been forgiven, and I want to clear my slate that's in my heart that's got me mixed up, and I want Him to know that I'm confessing. I know you say this is sin, and I say that it's sin. I agree with you with my heart. I agree with you with my words. And when I do that, there's such a freedom that comes to my life. Not that I wasn't free before. I was. But experientially, something was clogging up the connection. Does that make sense? So when you confess something, you're saying what God says is sin. That's a big deal because today so many people don't want to agree with what God says is sin. As a matter of fact, the line for sin has been fudged in some churches. Some people won't come to this church because we stick with the word. And we can't compromise. I'm just the messenger. Amen. God's word is his word. And what he says is sin is sin. I spoke with somebody recently. And uh, he hasn't been here for a few months. And I intentionally haven't called him. Because the last time I spoke to him, the last two or three or four times, he said, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, Pastor. I miss you guys. I'm coming. He hasn't come. I haven't called. Finally, I broke down yesterday and I called. Hey, man, just want to touch base with you. Haven't seen you. The last few times we spoke, you said you were coming. Where have you been? Busy. I went, I went to my daughter's church a couple times. Well, I'm not. You haven't come to your church. Why? Why? Did I, did I do something to hurt you or what? I said, listen, there are a lot of fake Christians in our culture. And I want you to know 
that there's no room to be a fake Christian. That's all I had to say. And he said, well, I want you to know, Pastor, uh, I'm not a Christian. Been coming for months. What do you mean you're not a Christian? Well, I know the way that I'm living is sinful. I'm living with somebody, and we're not married, but we're living like we are. I said, why don't you just get married? We could do it. Won't cost you any money. Just get a license. We can do it this weekend. No, I don't want to get married. I've been married twice before. I don't want to get married. I just want to keep living like this. So let me be clear. You know what God's word says. You know what it means to be a Christian. And you're choosing to go your way and to reject God's way. Well, I didn't say that. Well, no, you did. You did say that. I want you to know that I love you. We love you. There will always be a place here for you. But I can't change the word of God. I'm going to be praying for you. You're welcome to come back anytime. Okay? Okay. Thank you for the call, Pastor Robert. And that was it. And it just broke my heart. Because so many people have fudged the lines and we don't even recognize what sin is anymore. And when we align our words with God's word, we come into agreement with him. Everything flows much better in our life. Listen to Proverbs 28, 13. It says this. He who covers his sins will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. You can't just cover up your sins and keep living as a Christian in a sinful lifestyle. You won't prosper. You won't get ahead. You won't experience God's best for you, even though he loves you, even though in your relationship with him. Come on. It just doesn't work that way. How about confessing our sins to one another? Ooh, that's tough. James 5.16 says this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. It doesn't mean you go around telling everybody your sins. But the hope is as you're developing relationship in church family and your small groups, you know who loves you. You know who's with you. You know who's praying for you. But you're dealing with something. And you go to them. And in confidentiality, you open up and you share with them. So that they can encourage you. So that they can pray for you. So that they can fast for you. So that they can be strengthening you in your walk with God. Because if you keep that covered up, you're just not going to prosper. You're not going to get to where God wants you to be. That's a big reason why people will avoid churches or jump from church to church. I know people right now who aren't coming because they're living in sin. And they're just watching church videos with all kinds of different pastors. And they're listening to Christian music. But they don't want to connect with the church family because they're afraid that they're going to find out about what they're doing. And so they back off in shame. But they'll never experience healing. They'll never experience the breakthrough that God has for them. Come on, if somebody's with me, say amen. Let's move on. The second thing we can do to live consecrated to God, and these will be faster, I must repent from sin. Pastor Robert, repent. That's such a big word. Well, listen, I want you to understand this because repentance is different than confession. Confession is agreeing with God. Repentance is different. 
It's important that we know that. When we look at both Ezra and Nehemiah, we see that the people are confessing and separating. They're turning from their way, that was the wrong way, and then going God's way. Did you know that the very first message, from what I can tell, that Jesus preached was a message of repentance? Matthew 4.17. Not only Jesus, but John the Baptist preached the same message. This is what it says. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, come on, say it with me. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. God's kingdom's here. I brought it. The king is here. I brought the kingdom here. But if you want to enter it, you've got to repent. Repentance is necessary for salvation. You know that. There's a, there's a godly sorrow. We, we, we ask God to forgive us for our sins. And then we turn and we go God's way. But I want you to know that repentance for a believer isn't just a one and done. It isn't just a one-time event. It will also help us to live a consecrated life. Now, repentance doesn't just mean to say, I'm sorry for my sin. I want you to know that. The word repent is the Greek word meta noeo. Meta, M-E-T-A, noeo. N-O-E-O. Meta noeo. And this is what it means. It means to change one's mind. Repentance is a change of mind which turns to a change of purpose and then a change of action. Metanoeo. To think new. To think different. To change the way you think. Go in a different direction. Follow these new God thoughts. So it's not just I'm sorry, I confess it. It's repenting. It's turning. It's doing a 180. It's going the other direction. Kids, have your parents ever asked you to take out the trash? Come on, anybody ever be asked to take out the trash or make your bed or pick up your clothes? Right? Have you ever disobeyed? It's okay, you could tell us the truth. Have you ever disobeyed? Have you ever not done it? Right? Right? Listen, when that happens, let me tell you what mom and dad are looking for. They're looking for repentance. They're looking for you to change your mind about what they said and go a different direction than your way and do what they said. That's repentance. It's not just, I'm sorry, Daddy. And the next time Daddy asks you to take out the trash, you go play basketball. That wasn't repentance. That was just words. Come on, anybody with me? So repentance is really important. You can ongoingly repent. Let me just put it this way. That's a renewing of your mind. Anakinosis, that's what it's called, renewing. It's, it's with the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word of God, we're beginning to align our thoughts with God's words and God's thoughts and God's Spirit. And the way we used to think isn't the way we think anymore. There's more in 24. There's greater repentance that can take place. I can go in a different direction. I can experience spiritual renewal in my life. I can go to another level in my consecration to God. But it takes repentance. You can't just say, I'm sorry. Last thing, you got to know this. I must separate myself from sin. Come on, say it with me, church. I must separate myself from sin. Notice Ezra 10, 11. Now, therefore, make confession to the Lord God of your fathers and do His will. Separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the pagan wives. Are you with me? First, we confess. Next, we repent. And finally, we 
separate ourselves from sin. Let me just make it real simple. There are people, there are places, and there are things that you need to separate yourself from. There just are. And if we're being honest, and we ask the Holy Spirit to show us, He will. And we're getting ready to close, but I want you to know this. There are benefits to living a consecrated life to God. Big time benefits. First of all, you'll be able to hear God more clearly. You'll be able to hear Him, how He's speaking and what He's saying for you and your family. Secondly, you'll understand His purpose for your life with greater clarity. God's got a purpose for each of us. And when you live consecrated, fully dedicated to Him, You'll understand that with more and more clarity. Third, there'll be a greater understanding of God's will for your life. The best place you can be is in that dime-sized spot of God's will for your life. Fourth, greater protection from the enemy. Come on, somebody say amen. When you're in step with God, there's greater protection from the enemy. And last, you got to know this. You'll have a greater ability to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. The more consecrated you are, the more you'll be able to follow God's Spirit. Here's what I want you to take away from this. Because I know some people are thinking, Pastor Robert, man, this is sounding good, but how do I do this? Well, that might take another message. You got time? I got time. I'm just kidding. But here's something you got to know. If you're going to do this, You've got to believe in God's love for you. You've got to believe in God's love for you. He loves you. He sent Jesus for you. The Bible says, with Jesus, how could he not give you everything else that you need? Second, you have to learn to see yourself the way God sees you. Righteous. Pure. Holy separated. That's how he sees you. That's how he sees me. Somebody say, thank God, (laughs) right? Here's the last thing I want to say. You got to learn to let the Holy Spirit empower you. Can't do it in and through your own efforts. God loves you. He sees you as forgiven. He sees you as clean. He sees you as holy. He sees you as righteous. If You've accepted Jesus Christ. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Anybody want to live fully dedicated to God in 24? Come on, let's stand to our feet and pray. Father, we thank you for this time of worship today. We thank you for encouraging and strengthening and healing and restoring. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for your gentle way, for your teaching, for your strengthening, for your revealing the truth of the Scriptures. I ask that you would help everyone under the sound of my voice. The moment we leave today, help us to live a life fully dedicated to God, consecrated to God. Help us to confess where we've messed up, Help us, God, 
to repent and make a decision to turn. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, enable us to separate ourselves from things, from people, from places that are an ungodly influence. Father, we believe for renewal. We thank you for doing something new in our lives. Thank you for helping us to live for Jesus. And thank you for helping us point other people to Jesus. We love you. And we honor you. Keeping your head bowed, I don't want to assume anything. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Robert, that was a good message, but I'm not even sure if I'm saved. I'm not even sure if I'm righteous. I'm not even sure if I'm in the family of God. Friend, today is a day of salvation. If you're not sure, more than likely you're not. Because when you are, you're sure. We're going to leave, but I just want to make sure we're sure. If you want to receive Jesus as your Savior, or you want to recommit your life to Jesus today as your Savior, just so that we can be in agreement and settle that, and you don't leave unsure, just raise your hand so I could see you. This is a time to celebrate, not a time to back down or be embarrassed. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you can today. Just lift your hand. That's good. Father, we thank you for your saving grace today. We thank you that all of us have our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. We praise you and we love you and we honor you. We give you all the credit and all the glory for what you did here today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.